Well, tonight we're going to continue our series in, uh, in the book of Judges. And um, this is a lot harder than it used to be for me for a few reasons. These aren't excuses as we come. I used to be the person here every week, and so I always knew where we were. But now I preached like the first set of Judges, and I haven't been here since, right? I just, it just hasn't happened. So I preached uh, Judges chapter 3, the first three Judges we see, and here we are. I'm the last of the judges, not the end of the book, and I'm back, and it's like, whoa, what has happened? It's a time warp these days. Um, uh, so I'm, uh, I, I can't be here every, every evening, so I'm not asking to get signed back up for that, Jim and Dave and other, other elders who I, I work for as the session, but um, uh, it's just a lot different when you just come in every once in a while. Um, but here we are, Judges chapter 16, and last week we originally were going to be here and look at Judges 13 and 14, and I think that would have been my text, um, and someone else would have preached this week, but we had a bit of a target of opportunity, as they say, and a missionary, Dave, was here, Dr. Dave, who you might have seen in the morning, and he came and spoke in the evening about uh, Bulgaria. Uh, and so I now have the task of preaching four chapters from the book of Judges in one evening. Going to stretch me a little bit. Okay, um, so uh, let's just start off. Let's read. Uh, these are the verses that I chose, and then I'll talk to you a little bit about how and why we're going to uh, go through this, and after I read this, uh, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and if you could respond with thanks be to God. So hear now the word of the Lord, Judges chapter 16, starting in verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. Lord, we ask that you would be pleased to speak to us. Father, we need to hear from you. Lord, we always need to hear from you. Lord, we need to learn more of your truth and your grace and your mercy poured out upon us 
in Christ Jesus. So Lord, as we sang, would you speak to our hearts today? And we ask you to do this and that Jesus would be glorified. Amen. Well, I need you to picture something in your mind. Picture your very favorite book. Okay, if you don't read books. Picture your very favorite movie. And now imagine what it would be like if you only saw the last 10 minutes. If you only read the last few pages. Think of all that you would be missing. You'd be totally lost. You wouldn't understand how you'd gotten to where you are. And it would mean so much less. Well, that's my excuse to go back a little bit (laughs) to the beginning of this story. Now, we're not going to read all of 13, 14, 15, and 16, but I am going to read some with a few comments along the way so that we can refresh our minds as to the story of Samson. Uh, If you've been a Christian for a decent amount of time, you've probably heard of him. Um, If you've been a Christian for a long, long, long time, you've probably read the book of Judges. You may have read it multiple times. You may remember lots of the things that transpired, but you probably don't remember everything that transpired in the life of Samson. So I thought what we should do in this one evening to study Samson, this last judge of Israel. And if if the book of Judges is your favorite, could be. Samson's probably not your favorite judge, so the comparison ends there. You're thinking about your favorite book, your favorite movie. Samson's probably not your favorite judge. It would be hard to be your favorite judge, yet there's much we can learn as we study the life of Samson. So I just want to go back a little bit and refresh on some of those things uh, that we see in his story, and then we will come to today's text. So I won't be that long, I promise. All right, so uh, beginning of chapter 13, uh, and uh, the last judge was Jephthah, right? And we read these words, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So that predates the rise of Samson, 40 years under the oppressive hand of the Philistines. And then we learn of a man named Manoah, and his wife was barren. And the angel of the Lord appears to her and tells her she's going to conceive and bear a son. And the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And and this is different, right? People could take Nazarite vows back then, but Samson's vows are very different. It's, it, he, he's not the first one to take it. His mom's told he's going to be a Nazarite. So he didn't take this voluntarily. It's also not just for a brief period of time. It's for his whole life. Okay? So he will be a Nazarite, which means you have to abstain from certain things. Right? Strong drink, which means alcohol. Uh, you can't uh, touch anything uh, that's dead. Okay? Um, And there are a few other things, but those are some of the big ones, and we'll see those play out in this story. So he shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines, right? So uh, even she, while she's with child, is to drink no wine or strong drink. And I'm just reading excerpts from the scriptures here. Like everything I'm reading is is from the scripture, really. And to eat nothing unclean, okay? So we skip down in chapter 13, and we see this woman... Uh, we don't get her name. She bears a son and calls his name Samson. Okay? And the young man grows. 
and the Lord blesses him. This is verse 25, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Okay. Now, in time, uh, this uh, young man, Samson, will tell his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. You think this is good? This is not good, right? Uh, this is not good. Uh, and so they're like, hey, she's a Philistine. We're not supposed to do that. But Samson says to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. When we first started this book, we talked about kind of the theme in that last verse, and everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. It includes Samson. We see that at least a couple times in this text, right? Um, uh, so, uh, we, we continue on in the story, and, and no kidding, a young lion comes towards Samson roaring. I'm in chapter 14, verse 6 now. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Right? Samson is strong, and he is fearless. Right? Uh, a few days later, he'll be passing by the carcass of this very same lion, uh, and a swarm of bees is in the body of the lion and honey, and I'm in verse 9 now, and he scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. Here he is breaking one of the Nazarite vows. Okay. Um, he is touching the dead. And oh, by the way, he gave some to mom and pop, and he didn't tell them. <clears throat> uh, a little bit later, his father right, uh, goes down to this woman, right, and uh, Samson prepares a feast. Uh, and I'm in verse uh, 10, for so the young men used to do. Okay, now these are young men, and they're having a feast. This is a wedding feast. And so the young men used to do. I think that's code, okay? Um, so I'm thinking Samson probably broke another part of his Nazarite vow here. We can probably safely assume based on everything else we know about his character that he's drinking alcohol here, right? So he's breaking that aspect of his vow. And we will learn now at this wedding feast that Samson is a bit of a betting man. Uh, he says, let me now, I'm in verse 12, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And here's the riddle. Those famous words, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. He's a bit of a poet as well, isn't he? Samson's quite a guy. <clears throat> uh, down in verse 17, um, uh, uh, we move on a little bit uh, in the story, and uh, his, his new wife is a little upset that she can't figure out this riddle and no one can figure out this riddle. Right? So she weeps before him the seven days that their feast lasted, again, the wedding feast. Right? And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him. And here we see his Achilles heel. Right? We see his kryptonite. It's women. Okay? This is where he is absolutely weakest. It seems nearly any woman can come along and get Samson to do things uh, that uh, I'm not going to say he doesn't want to do, right? <laughs> but get him to do things, and he, and he does them. Right? Uh, so, 
Um, uh, That story goes south. She tells. uh, He loses the bet. He gets upset. The Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him, verse 19, and he goes down to Ashkelon and strikes down 30 men of the town, and he takes their spoil, and he gives the garments to those who had told the riddle. We see his temper. We see he's vengeful. He sees a bit of a blame shifter too, right? This is starting already. Like the, the problem is never him and the fact that he's telling all his secrets, right? It's never him. It's always these women who manipulate him or the people who are manipulating the women, but it's never him, right? Chapter 15, now uh, we see this incident cools off for a little bit and Samson now goes back to visit his wife, but uh-oh, right? Do we remember this? His wife's father gave her away to someone else. And he says, you can't go in there. So what does Samson do? Well, he sets fire to their grain through uh, tying up the tails of foxes. Could be jackals. You could translate it. Jackals, that might be a little more likely. Um, um, And the Philistines are not happy about this. They come up now and burn his wife and his wife's father. And so then he strikes them with a great blow, uh, is all we hear. He, he strikes their hip and thigh with a great blow, blow chapter 15, uh, verse 8. But then next, right, the Philistines, uh, chapter 15, verse 9, come up and encamp in Judah and make a raid. And the men of Judah, the men of Judah, right, tell Samson, we have, in verse 12 now, we have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And so they bind him with two new ropes, right? And they bring him up, right? And what happens? Well, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him again, and the, the ropes basically melt off of him. He's so strong. That's the picture. And he takes now a fresh jawbone of a donkey. This isn't a live donkey, okay? So Nazarite vow again, hello, right? He's touching a dead jawbone of a donkey. Uh, and he puts out his hand, he takes, he strikes down a thousand men. And here we get more of his poetry. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. I told you he was a poet, right? Uh, so we see this uh, throughout. Now, verse 18, he's very thirsty. So he calls upon the Lord. Right? And he's saying, Jeez, right? I didn't die in the battle. I killed a thousand men, but now I'm going to die of thirst. So he calls upon the Lord, and God splits open a hollow place, and water comes out, and he drinks, and his spirits return, and he's revived. And that brings us to the close of chapter 15 and on to Delilah. When I lived in Germany, a good friend of mine, uh, his uh, father, when he was stationed in Germany years ago, made this friend called Jürgen, right? I got to know Jürgen quite well, and Jürgen would take us many places, and Jürgen had a cat. Jürgen was not a Christian, but do you know what the name of the cat was? He called her Delilah, right, but Delilah. Like, it was the funniest thing to me that this man had a cat, <laughs> and he named her Delilah. He named her after this person in the Bible. Well, Samson now will go to Gaza. He's a prostitute. He goes into her, right? Uh, the people from Gaza, we're in chapter 16, verse 2, set an ambush for him. All night long, but he gets up in the middle of the night and he takes hold of the doors of the gate of the city. I'm in verse 3 in the two posts and he pulls them up, bar and all. 
and puts them on his shoulders and carries them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Right? An incredible feat of strength. And the text is by no means misleading, right? It's not trying to hide anything, but it makes it sound like he carried it up a hill. Where he went was an upwards of 40 miles away, right? This man had supernatural strength from the Lord. And much to my shame, when I saw the Sight and Sound Theater's production of Samson, has anyone seen it? Anyone seen that? Or have you ever seen a, a movie of Samson? Or, and they always pick such a big person, usually. But in the Sight and Sound Theater's one, they had a guy, and yeah, he was bigger than me. Um, but he wasn't huge. And I'm like, oh, well, they got it wrong. Like, why didn't they get this big guy? But I'm like, no, I've got it wrong. I missed the whole point, right? It doesn't matter how big this guy was. His strength came from the Lord, and it could not match his size. He wasn't... 15 feet tall and 2,000 pounds. So whether he was 6 foot and 220 or 7 feet and 400, it doesn't really matter, right? The strength came from the Lord. So he didn't have to look all that big, but oh my, he's carrying the gates of a city 40 miles, okay? Supernatural strength. After this, verse 4, he loves a woman in the valley of Sorek, and her name's Delilah. And this will be his undoing. Verse 5, the lords of the Philistines come up to her and say to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. This was no small bribe. So Delilah says to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you, right? So he says, first, if you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings. So she does. She binds him, this woman that he loves, that he's infatuated with. Does it work? Well, of course not. So now he tells her again, if they bind me with new ropes, um, in verse uh, 10, if you're following along, that have not been used. So she takes the ropes. She's the one binding him again. Um, it doesn't work. Uh, then he says to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin. And so she does that. Right? While he's sleeping. Okay? He's getting very close. Right? Uh, Nazarites, the third part of their vow was they were not allowed to cut their hair. Okay? Um, so while he sleeps, Delilah takes the seven locks of the head and wove them into the web. Right? It doesn't work either. But he's dangerously close. And he just can't resist. He just does not possess the self-control to be able to tell this woman who's using and manipulating him. Right? And he, to, to put him in the hands of his enemies. So she presses him, verse 16, hard with her words day after day and urged him. And his soul was vexed to death, we're told. And he told her all his heart, and he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So, verse 19, she made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man. And had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. And his strength left him. 
And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. Now, perhaps the most tragic words in the story. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. It's like a scene out of Conan the Barbarian, isn't it? But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And this brings us to today's text, which we started with, right? The death of Samson. Before we look at that in more detail, I want to look at a couple other aspects of Samson, right? So here we're, we're, we're caught up now, right? We've, we've read it all, so to speak. The first thing I want to look at with you is the faith of Samson. I want to pause and ask a few questions, right? I want to pause to examine the faith of Samson. How do we read this story, right? What do we make of it? He's the last of Israel's judges, right? They're actually 12. And he's arguably the most reckless, the most disobedient, the most unfaithful. Yet in our fallen world, don't we sometimes see faith and unfaithfulness go hand in hand? In our own lives, if we're honest, don't we often see faith and unfaithfulness go hand in hand? So at the end of this utterly reckless life, by most anyone's standards, we read in Judges 16, 28 that Samson called upon the name of the Lord. And that's the essence of faith, isn't it? Calling upon the name of the Lord. Because at the end of the day, it's not our faithfulness or unfaithfulness that makes the difference in our lives. None of us are perfectly faithful. And none of us are, unf are unfaithful as we could be, despite how perhaps we sometimes feel. God can break the pride of a religious, self-righteous man, the Pharisee or the elder brother. He can show them their need for him, and they can cry out to the Lord in faith and repentance. God can also use the brokenness of life, the pit of the prodigal, so to speak, to show people their desperate need for him. God uses all of these circumstances to cause us to cry out to him in repentance and faith that we might have life in his name. Despite all the inconsistencies in Samson's character, and there are many, we do see one consistent thing, and that is Samson calling upon the name of the Lord. In the midst of Samson's sin, in the midst of the messes he gets himself into, he calls upon the name of the Lord. And I think that's the main reason we see Samson end up in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's in your additional scriptures, right? So starting in verse 32, we read these words, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, 
who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. That's the end of verse 34. Samson's faith allowed him to stop the mouths of lions, we learn. It's faith that made the difference in Samson's life. Faith, which is a gift from God. So the story of Samson, I think, should first of all encourage us in our faith to call upon the name of the Lord in the midst of our troubles, right? To entrust ourselves to Him. In addition to looking, though, at the faith of Samson, I also want to look uh, at a moment for what a friend of mine has called the comfort of Samson. So we move from the faith of Samson to the comfort of Samson. How, could, how on earth could someone possibly find comfort in this story, right? At first glance, maybe there's not that much that's comforting. Well, let me tell you how you can't find comfort in this story. We cannot and should not find any comfort in thinking that our lives are any better than Samson's. Okay. We are all sinners saved by grace. So comparing ourselves to Samson is not a way to find comfort in this story, not any kind of lasting comfort. We know our hearts and the depths of what we are capable of. We also can't take comfort in thinking our faith is stronger than Samson's. We could be tempted to do that, right? Thinking how much he wavers during his life, but don't forget, he's in the Hall of Fame, not us, right? He's the Hall of Famer. Faith is a gift from God, and it's not something to boast about. So whether our faith is weak or small, it's not the strength of our faith that matters. It's the strength of the object of our faith. The object of our faith is Jesus, right? And He is strong. He is mighty to save, right? So what comfort can we take then from Samson? Well, Uh, My friend Keith Evans, uh, he wrote a blog. uh, It's a blog post called The Gentle Reformation. This is from July of of this year. And it's called The Comfort of Samson. If you want to read the whole thing, I'll be happy to send you a link. Just let me know afterwards. And so he says this. The Bible records the life of a faith-filled man who was a very far cry away from spotless. He was a man who willfully married an unbeliever, volitionally broke all of his vows to the Lord, uh, knowingly visited women of the night, Uh, exploded in murderous, vengeful rage, squandered precious promises of the Lord, and as a result, reaped a rather gruesome and bleak end to his life in the Lord. In his words, here is the unique comfort of Samson, and likely the chief reason he makes his way into holy writ. God is pleased to use such ones like Samson. Let me say it again. God is pleased to use ones such as Samson. This is all a quote. Now I'm continuing. In his infinite wisdom and in a way that defies human intellect, the Lord Lord sees fit to redeem wretches like you and me. He is pleased to take us from darkness and bring us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. The omnipotent one overcomes our sinfulness, both past and ongoing odiousness, and uses us for his purposes. The fact that the Lord can bring something glorious from sinners like us is beyond amazing and certainly worthy of all our praise. 
we may look upon the conflicting tale of Samson's life and wonder what to make of it. That's okay. So did Samson's parents. But God didn't wonder. God knew exactly what he was doing in using someone like Samson as his judge and his redeemer of Israel. He knew exactly how he purposed the life of this man of faith. No matter how stained and tarnished by sin, he remained this side of heaven. And friends, that's the unique comfort we draw from Judges 13 through 16 in our lives as well. The author of our salvation has seen fit to call people as tarnished and stained as us and write something glorious with our lives. Rejoice that you serve the God of Samson, for he sees fit to accomplish greatness even when we offer him such little to work with. So the faith of Samson, the comfort of Samson. But I want to look at one more thing. Like, I mean, I haven't even talked about our text yet, right? So I don't have 20 more minutes for you, but how about five? We've got to talk about our text tonight. We haven't talked about it much at all. So we've, we've, we've looked at the faith of Samson. We've looked at the comfort of Samson, but now we're not going to stop there. Uh, we're going to look at these last nine verses of Judges 16, and here we see the death of Samson. Right? We see that Samson's lack of wisdom, his lack of self-control, has left him poor and pitiable and blind. His strength is now used only for grinding at the mill. He's in service to the Philistines. He's not showing the greatness of his God. It seems Samson got an occasional break from his service for their entertainment, or so we read in verse 25. And his entertainment doesn't appear to be much more than standing there for them as a reminder that they had taken captive this great enemy of theirs. Samson stood as no more than a live visual that helped reinforce their false belief that their God, Dagon, was greater than the God of Israel. But this false belief would cost them their very lives. As Samson will call upon the name of the Lord one last time, and I just can't resist from saying it, he will literally bring the house down, right? True to Samson's less than stellar character, revenge appears to be his primary motivation. And yet God hears his plea and answers. So Samson sacrifices himself and loses his life in this visible demonstration that the God of Israel is the one true God. He died with and among his enemies, 3,000 of them. And here is perhaps where Samson's story is most significant to us. When we step back and look at the life of Samson, character issues aside, a few things jump out to us. He was born via a miraculous birth. That is, to a woman who was barren and had no children. This woman, known only as the wife of Manoah, was visited by the angel of the Lord on multiple occasions. She was to have a special child, a child unlike any that had come before. And he would grow, and the Lord would bless him as he grew. 
And the Spirit of the Lord would be upon Samson in miraculous ways. Samson would defeat his enemies time and again. He would even call upon the name of the Lord. And God would split water from a hollow place. Sounds kind of like a rock, doesn't it? And we know who that rock was. And just when Samson's enemies thought they had fully and finally defeated him, as they mocked him, Samson gave his own life to defeat his and God's enemies. You see the picture yet? Do you see where I'm going with this? Samson, despite all his tragic flaws, is in many ways a type of Christ. He thus points us to the greater salvation God had in store for his people through Jesus' sinless life and his sacrificial death and his bodily resurrection. Samson became like any other man when he lost his strength and was given into the hands of his enemies, but they wouldn't get the final word. Similarly, Jesus became a man taking upon himself a human nature that he might be put to death by his, by his enemies. And yet Christ's enemies don't get the final say either. Christ rose again victorious on the third day, offering salvation to all who would repent of their sin and believe in him. Christ saves us by his grace, his amazing grace. And this grace is the kind of grace that works in and through people like Samson and in and through people like you and me. This grace is the kind of grace that grants faith to Samson and grants faith to people like you and me. And this grace is on display for the world to see in the person and work of Jesus Christ who comes to every one of you today and offers himself in your place by his grace. He offers to take your sins and to give you all of his righteousness that you might be reconciled to God. So have you embraced this grace of God in Jesus Christ? For yourself? Have you embraced Jesus? Is He yours? And are you His? Perhaps sometimes we're ashamed of Samson. Perhaps we're embarrassed by Him and all of His foolishness. But by grace, our God is not ashamed of Samson. Our God is not embarrassed by Him. Our God gives Samson the grace to call upon Him in faith. And he calls Samson his very own. May we, as his children, likewise continue to call upon the Lord in faith by his grace, knowing that in Jesus, God calls us his own too. Let's pray.